Hello, and welcome to the July episode of our Mission Success Women in Multifamily podcast series. I am Laura Kaluger, Senior Editor with Multi-Housing News. My guest today is an active female leader with an extensive background in property management. Diana Petro is the Executive Vice President of RMK Management in Chicago, a company that manages a portfolio of more than 6,500 units in the Midwest. Thank you for accepting my invitation, Diana. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate the opportunity to have this uh, chance to speak with you. First of all, please tell everyone how you got into multifamily. What made you embrace a career in, in real estate? Laura, I think like a lot of people, I got into it accidentally. Um, I had been a flight attendant for many, many years. And when I came out of that particular uh, role, I was a single mom and I enjoyed the interaction of people. And I also enjoyed the challenges of no day ever being the same. So quite by accident, I took a job as a leasing agent, thinking it would be temporary, and I would see how, you know, that whole industry worked. Mm -hmm. In short, I loved it. I started working in leasing. I started working in condo management. And then eventually, I settled into the multi-housing industry, which is where I have enjoyed uh, my 25 or 30 years uh, of my career. Wow, that was quite a change from a flight attendant to working in real estate. Uh, You must have had someone who helped you, who guided you along the way. Who was that? And and when you look back, were there any people without whom you wouldn't have made it? You know what? As as someone who's been in in the industry a long time, I think we look back fondly on some of the leaders and mentors and role models that we have in, in our industry. And when I look at this, there are probably people that I have to admittedly say, I would not uh, follow their path, or I would not necessarily follow their theory of management. And and to me, it's, it's a balance of people that you admire for all the good things. And then you're very honest about the people that um, are leaders that you say to yourself, I don't really want to be that kind of leader. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of people that were great balances for me. One was a very demanding gentleman who had a very high ranking title. And um, I worked for him as an administrative assistant. And I was one of four. And he engaged me in every aspect of his personal life and his business life to the point of I knew more than his attorney did. He was a person who taught me that even on an airplane, he could dictate for an hour and a half some sort of board document and that the word can't was the worst four-letter word in in the dictionary. And that was a true, true eye-awakening experience because I was younger, I was naive, and I really took away all the good that I got out of that. But the main thing was this man showed me that somehow, if you have the will to find a resolution, you will find it. It may not be the perfect resolution, but it will be a resolution that allows you to find a compromise that you really don't have any situations that you can't handle if you just approach it that way. The the second gentleman that I admire for most of my career, and I still keep in touch with him, was a man who was the same nature, uh, very demanding, very high up in rank. But what he taught me was perfection. And it's not that perfection is something that we all have, 
Um, I don't believe anybody is perfect, including myself. But he taught me how to strive for it. He showed me that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be kind. You have to listen. You have to take that balance and figure out that sometimes saying you're sorry and saying you're wrong is the appropriate way to handle it. Because maybe you can't find the perfect resolution, but a lot of times people just want you to listen and be sympathetic and make an attempt. You just mentioned two males working in the industry. Were there any female leaders that you looked up to? I have to tell you, Laura, I looked up to a lot of different females uh, coming through this rank. Um, and I call it rank because I, I feel like I've done every job there is. I even mopped floors at one time. And yes, I have a couple of uh, lady friends that I still keep in touch with today that are uh, people that came through the process with me about the same time. Mm-hmm. I may head up this company, they may head up another one. And they are uh, women that are around the country that I've been able to make long lasting relationships with. And each one of these women and I, I think what I have learned from them is women have the ability to find a balance. And what I, what we enjoy about each other is we can sit there and laugh about having three fires in one month or, or the fact that the market has just taken a tumble and still enjoy each other's company and talk about the small things in life that make you laugh. So I don't know whether the women in our industry are, are just better at juggling and, and finding the good in every situation. Uh, maybe my male counterparts take it more stressfully. Maybe they take it more seriously. I'm not really sure. But the women that I have enjoyed my relationships with are, are women that along the way have um, made me laugh, made me cry. Um, we fought personal battles together. We share pictures of our children. And I'm always amazed at how uh, we continue to grow together. I mean, they're, they're women that have, have grown um, in leaps and bounds. I mean, I don't consider myself at the same level at every aspect because they are running companies twice as large as mine, uh, twice as many employees. And yet when we get together, we're all just sitting there enjoying each other's time. But is it difficult for a woman to work in the multifamily industry? Have you ever felt you've been discriminated against in this industry? I, I do think that there were some uh, not intentional lines of discrimination earlier in my career. Um, you don't know me that well, but I am not a really outgoing person. I'm, I'm outgoing in my element. I enjoy talking about my industry. I have a passion for my industry. Don't you badmouth any of my staff because I'll defend them. Till the <laughs> um, but when it comes to putting me in a room, I'm not a social butterfly. I have enjoyed certain uh, roles that I, I have been able to succeed at because I have prepared myself or other women have prepared me for those roles. But my nature is to be pretty quiet. Um, I think what I found along the way where I did experience some maybe slight types of discrimination was when I didn't speak up loud enough or I didn't speak up strong enough or I did not sell the value that I bring to the table. 
Um, so in some cases where, for instance, I uh, maybe I changed companies uh, at some point in time, I've worked with two larger companies, rather larger companies. And in those larger companies, naturally, you have more levels and more layers. Mm-hmm. If I sat in a room and I had six people that were doing the same job I was, five of them were men, one of them was me. Um, if I look at the scope of work, I am the one that did all the out-of-town traveling. I am the one that uh, when it came time to look at a model or hire a leasing agent, did that work. Uh, In return, I would use one of their uh, strengths, maybe on the construction side. So we found a nice balance, but I was paid $20,000 to $25,000 less than they were. Right. And when I left, the person replacing me made $25,000 more than I did. So I didn't look at it as their fault. I looked at it as, well, I should have spoke up. I should have had more of a stronger position. Maybe when I did my performance reviews, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, sat there as complacently maybe as I did, because I never really felt comfortable arguing about money. I never took a job for money. I I walked away from jobs that paid more money because the money is not the motivator for me. And so I looked at it as a learning curve for myself more than anything else. I think that there's a natural progression that's come about over the last two decades in our industry. And um, while this hasn't entirely gone away, When I look at, let's say, the National Apartment Association, where it's a very large board, it's a very large group. I have been part of that for many years. When I sit in the room, the majority of the people are probably evenly men and women now. That wasn't that way 30 years ago or 20 years ago. So I think that that has really, really progressed in our industry. And I see it more directly when I sit on different boards and I look around the room and I mentally make a note and say, oh, wow, you know, now there's 20 of us here instead of 15 or next year there, you know, you've got a similar number. So I see the growth in women in these leadership roles really, really progressing. And, and I, it might be baby steps in some cases, but it's, it's a big difference from where I, I started. Um, The one thing I do laugh about, though, still is um, let's say you're at a meeting and and I'll just use the apartment association again. There's 73 people on the board Mm -hmm. and someone will make a comment and I will speak in my microphone and I will say something. And, you know, there's a nodding of heads. And yes, there's some discussion. Well, 20 minutes later, someone will say something again and it'll be a male voice. And then all of a sudden it's the right answer. And I laugh to myself and I'll go, didn't I just say that? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't they hear me? (laughs) No, didn't they hear me? And I said, you know, sometimes I'll look at somebody next to me and they'll look at me and they'll say, well, you just said that. And I'm going, geez, I must not be talking loud enough. So I guess there's still some lessons for, for women to learn as they grow into these roles and the comfort level that they get with projecting. And again, creating value. We create value for our apartment homes every day. Well, we all have to be able to create value for ourselves too. Um, You just mentioned that your job is not about the money. Um, So what's the most satisfying thing about your job? 
one of the things that I am extremely proud of in my company, and again, we're considered a mid-sized company. We're not a large company. We're not a national company. I am in four states. I have the ability to look at um, a leasing agent that I've hired and maybe 10 years later, sit down with that leasing agent and say, you're ready to be a manager. Um, I enjoy watching people grow in this industry. I think it's the biggest compliment to a company and to its leaders is when you have two things going on in your company. Um, you have growth and you have a high number of retention. 25% of our people have been with us over eight years. And that's a good number. Another 10 or 12% have been with me uh, at different companies over 15 years. And along the way, they have started at lesser roles and been promoted to where they are now. So I've enjoyed watching them grow as people and take on new roles. I've enjoyed listening to their ideas because I am one of the first ones to admit that uh, generally people in my gender, my age group um, are not as good tech with technology as, as a 30 year old is. Um, so when I go into these meetings where I'm sitting in a room and we're talking about things we wanna roll out and things we wanna do, I am the last person to speak because I know my younger folks and my people below me at the site level where they are living it and breathing it and using these things every day are going to be much more, much more knowledgeable about this than me. So I enjoy that because they're teaching me something and I've, I've been able to sit back and, and watch some of the things I've taught them come out. And then I've been able to, you know, provide a banter where um, I may cause them to do a little thinking you know, in the same area, but not the same way. So we, we have a great blend of ideas, but that's my biggest enjoyment. And what's it like to work in the Chicago multifamily industry in 2021? Oh, you know, 2021 is a year of, um, I call it a year of happy shock. There, <laughs> there is not an owner. I have 13 ownership calls a week. And obviously after 2020, um, all of our owners are, are, are very, were very concerned. Obviously, they were all working remotely. Obviously, they couldn't travel to the sites and, and see what was going on. Um, there was a lot of, you know, cautiousness in 2020. There were a lot of bad things in 2020 as a result of the virus uh, for our industry. Um, you know, rent loss, occupancy loss, um, huge, you know, our expenses didn't drop but our income did. And then you, have mm -hmm. the, then you have the personal side of it. You have people that were essential workers and went to work every day, yet everybody in the world is staying home. Well, how do you balance that? And how do you not stress them out? So we all had to really think out of the box. And 2021 has been a pleasant, a pleasant surprise to everybody. In the Chicago market and in the Midwest, um, our occupancies have jumped anywhere from 8 to 12% in certain markets. Um, our concessions have dropped from four months down to one or nothing. Our traffic has doubled what 2019 was. And our rent growth for half of the year is made up 
of probably 2020 rents. So by the time we get to the end of the year, we'll be back at 2019 rents, which was a great year. Um, and may have some growth in some of the you know, more popular submarkets. So I think the, the biggest comment that everybody is saying is, oh my gosh, no one expected it to bounce back this fast. Let's not be too crazy here. You know, <laughs> let's not be doing a balloon happy dance here because we still have six months out of the year and we don't want to jinx ourselves. But holy mackerel, this has turned out to be a great year. It's a year of excitement. It's a year of everybody breathing a sigh of relief. Um, it's a year of, I think, some of the crabbiness going away uh, mm -hmm. from residents and staff uh, because now people have gotten some normalcy to their life. Maybe they've had a vacation. Maybe the, their, their kids aren't stressed because they're not doing virtual school anymore. You know, I feel like it's a happier time and it's a pleasant surprise. I knew we would all get there but I don't think any of us thought 2021 would turn around this quickly. And looking back to 2020 and the, the challenges it brought along, what was the hardest for you as the executive vice president of a property management company? I know you mentioned earlier that it was pretty hard to um, see how uh, several of your employees had to be on site 24 seven or go to work every day while everyone was at home. What was the hardest? I think the hardest was um, putting yourself in the shoes of the staff, uh, the people on site. I felt like that was the hardest because our industry is used to dealing with residents. It's used to dealing with owners. It's used to dealing with uh, the, the expense side, the income side. This is what we do. It's basic 101. But people cannot be controlled. And every person is different and every day is different. And the reaction to how this virus affected our teams was an all encompassing problem. Um, you could have a certain site team that had been together for eight years and yet suddenly they were falling apart. Um, you could have someone who would say, um, I'm not doing that. And, and then someone else who has to pick up the slack it, it, it became a very, very difficult year when it came to staff. And, and it became a balance that I think if I look at myself and my regionals, most of our hardest times were dealing with people and how to walk them through this virus mm -hmm. and how to walk them off the ledge. And then you had the group of um, people that got sick. I had three people in my employee that were very, very seriously ill for a long time in the hospital. And it was very scary to, you know, be supportive of them and talk to their families and, and offer support and do what you could do and send your prayers when you couldn't be there with them. You know, I felt awful for these families, but normally if I had an employee that was that ill, I'd have been there. It was hard. And then it was hard on the staff that was left in place because now all of a sudden they're wondering if they're next. So we all had to very quickly write COVID protocols. And those protocols had to do with how you handled the health of your staff, how you handled the resident interaction, how you handled work orders, how you handled office visits, how you handled leasing. These people were thrown a whole new set of rules. And um, we were, as a company, able to provide support, but again, 
we weren't on site every day like they were. So we, we had to go overboard taking care of our employees. And my biggest worry was at the end of the day, I was going to lose these really good people over this. And as it turned out, we only lost two out of 300. So I'm, I'm very proud of them. Um, we, we did a great job of rewarding them, I believe, as most companies did. Um, we certainly didn't spend any less money on them. We made sure that they made their salaries and naturally they, you know, the bonuses and things like that had to be considered because they, mm-hmm. weren't, they couldn't lease the way they normally did. Um, so I think every company had to step up to the plate. And I think the first priority was how to help your staff get through this. And how are you doing it? How are you helping your staff maintain not only physical health, but also mental health? Because they've had to take on additional tasks that they weren't used to do before. They had to, as you said, implement safety protocols, take care of, I don't know, maybe anxious residents and, and whatnot. Yeah, there were there were quite a few things, Laura, that I think we did. Um, the first thing I appreciate about this industry is the, the apartment association here did weekly calls and we shared information. We shared how to take care of our employees. We shared vendors that were available to us. If you were a large company or a small company or a mid-sized company, you were not at a loss for information. And that was shared firsthand with all the people that were sat on that board so that we could take it back to our teams. Some of the nice things that everybody did and that we did, um, we did not require people to work 40 hours. We staggered shifts, but we paid them for 40 hours, no matter what their job was. We adjusted their scope of work. In other words, we gave them more time to be focused on the new things that were being thrown at them versus some of what I call the minutia of running a property, okay? Obviously, mm-hmm. um, you don't have as much turnover. You're not spending as much time on move outs. You're not spending as much time on prepping units. I think we we've provided support by being there and by showing that they weren't alone. You know, you have to wrap your arms around the things that um, take them all, that are the most important to you at that moment. And, and the staff and the residents were the critical component of this because we would fail if it weren't for our site teams. And how they took care of the residents reflected on how we took care of them. And from an operations standpoint, are there any pandemic-induced shifts that you think will live on in the post-COVID-19 era? Um, there's a couple things that I was very, very... Um, actually, I'm working on a video library to add to our sites. Uh, a couple things that we learned from our maintenance team. I have some darn good maintenance supervisors and some really good ideas. And what they did is they took all the manuals that they have and they put them on a video and they also put them in a format that the residents have access to them through their resident portal. So So creative. Yeah. So they did that, which was wonderful. They also set up video training. And this was, I thought, one of the best ideas. And I, I, all my sites ended up doing this. Each property obviously is a little different as far as what they have to do for maintenance or work orders, but anything that could be done, what they did, they started in the unit and they videoed the training uh, for the residents of how to change your filter 
how to troubleshoot the dishwasher, how to troubleshoot a no heat problem, how to work these fancy thermostats when you move in, how to look for if there's a plumbing problem where the water valve is. They put all these training videos on the resident portal. And if someone had a work order, they sent them the appropriate training video. Then they stood outside the door and FaceTimed with the person and, and guided them and guided them. And of course we dropped off the supplies if it was a part or something like that. And so a lot of the men, when we had a, a situation like that, the work order would have them outside the door FaceTiming with the resident. The supplies would have been left that morning or that day, and they'd be walking them through that. So this process really, really worked. And out of you know all the work orders we would get in a day, we really, really expected by the end of the virus that we were going to be so backed up with work orders, it would be horrible. And it really didn't happen because we were able to take those work orders and perform them. I would say, I want to say the last time I looked at this number, we got about 80% of them done that way, which is a huge kudos to the residents as well, but also to our team for thinking about that because that was something I had nothing to do with. So I'm trying to put all of those training videos into a library for all of our residents to use. So I hope that that is one big piece of the ongoing puzzle. The other thing that I think we have sort of come about differently is, you know, with all the, um, the, the need to communicate via text and email, um, our company has always had a little bit of a hesitation to just assume that that's the best way to interact with everybody. I know a lot of people like it that way, but I still think there's more people that enjoy a phone call, a personal phone call, or, um, you know, a personal appointment if they're talking about their renewal. Um, some of that was not stopped during the virus. And the face-to-face -to, -face to me is going to grow and come back in our world. So one of the things I, I want to expand on as a team is getting back to some of that face-to-face. Virtual leasing is great, but I think judging by our traffic, and as I mentioned earlier, our traffic is double what 2019 was. That's walk-in traffic. People want to know who they're talking to, who they're living next to, who they're having managed for them. And I think that's a big part of what we need to get back to. So you don't expect the leasing process to change much following the, the pandemic? Self-guided tours will Maybe they will survive, but <laughs> they won't be at the same level as 2020. No, no. Self-guided tours um, were not a strong were not a strong resource for us. We we rolled them out um, right before the pandemic. Um, RMK has uh, 32 properties. Some of them are under 100 units, so we have a small staff at these properties. And I was going to use self-guided tours before the pandemic to help out, you know, residents that want to be there maybe on the days we're closed. It was not a big pull for us during the pandemic at all. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I am saying it's something that I think um, is, is, a, is a piece of technology that fits the right application. But for my portfolio, it doesn't really uh, fit every application. I also think that face-to-face -face interaction with a listing agent is irreplaceable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we've got the Midwest 
might be different than the coastal properties. And the Midwest culture is different than the East or the South or the North or, you know, or the West. And I think Midwestern or Midwestern people are maybe a little bit more laid back and not quite as um, first in line for some of these things to try or do. And so I think you have to adjust what you're doing uh, to fit your, your demographic and your residents because they might be just a little bit different in their mindset. And that, has, that is, even includes people that might be a different culture. You know, in this day and age, we have so much diversity in all of our uh, industry. We have to always be wary of the fact that the shoe doesn't fit everybody. I know you also make time to get involved in various industry associations. What motivates you to stay active in these professional organizations? I think what motivates me the most is the camaraderie and the networking. Um, you know, I enjoy talking to my peers. Um, the one thing that I am always, always pleasantly surprised is no matter what I do, I learn something. Uh, it may be one small thing about something. And there's so many people that are growing in this industry. Now we have college degrees in property management. We didn't have any of that when I started. You know, you're running these assets Uh, for the benefit of many, many people. And I look at it as a chance for me personally to grow and bring back new ideas for my teams. But I look at it as a way to give back because we all have successes that have a value, but there's also a great value in failures. And I think it's important to share both with people that are in your, in your industry and in different areas and have different challenges so that you can feed off of each other and in those strengths. And one last question, what are your plans at RMK for the rest of the year and beyond? For the rest of the year, uh, we are looking at doing a better job of um, erasing the, the, the weaknesses of 2020. And that has to do with customer service. As I said earlier, it's getting back to some of the basics that make people a little happier and a little nicer and a little less crabby and uh, <laughs> more engaged. And then the bigger picture is um, we have a we have a challenge to to make up for some of the loss uh, on the financial side. So you have to balance your improvements and your growth with how that comes out to benefit the people that you have invested in your assets. Uh, we control those assets and we have to find a way to recoup some of those losses. Uh, and they don't have to necessarily be through rent growth, but it, it has to be through a lot of different things that all have to fit together. It's important for me to get my people back on good ground. I'm trying to get them active in the association so they can get out of their little world and realize that there's a lot more out there just to keep them motivated. Um, I think keeping the, the, the consistency of what's great and being able to say this didn't work, let it go, is a challenge because sometimes it's hard for all of us to let go of anything. And sometimes change is hard for all of us. Um, so I, I think that there are some things next year that are going to be settled that we're going to go through this year. And I really think next year will be a year to get back on course focus on our growth. Um, during this past year, RMK still opened three brand new sites, which was a challenge all by itself. 
because we were still in the pandemic for that. Of course. But to get back to some some consistent growth and 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 to make plans to uh, have people ready to you know provide the support to control those assets. Um, the employment world in in the industry right now is at its lowest. And that's been a challenge for us, but I think cultivating the staff that you have and hiring good hires is going to be a long-term thing that we'll cultivate and we'll see some results for in 2022 and hopefully going forward. Diana, thank you so much for this insightful conversation. Thank you for asking me, Laura. It was a pleasure. Until our next monthly chat, make sure you visit multihousingnews.com for the latest interviews, podcasts, and trend stories.